Welcome into another exciting edition of the Rush Review Podcast. I want to kick this show off by uh, congratulating the Braves on a much-needed Game 4 win Wednesday night. We are recording this podcast on Thursday the 21st, uh, so uh, they will have not played yet um, as we're recording this, and by the time we drop this, they will have already played, and hopefully they've won, which means they're headed to the World Series. Um, this team seems a little bit different than uh, last year's team because uh, they, you know, they suffered a pretty, pretty horrific loss uh, to the Dodgers last year after going up three games to nothing, and then, then seeing the Dodgers win four straight to uh, take that World Series bid. But this team seems different. That game three loss in heartbreaking fashion um, where the Dodgers were able to uh, score four runs in the eighth inning. Um, you know, it seems like they, they could have easily folded, but to come out and score nine runs uh, on that Dodgers team Wednesday night was just, um, you know, it, it was it was great to see. Um, you know, like we, we always say we're a, we're a, you know, SEC football podcast. Uh, but, you know, we got to give credit where credit's due. And uh, Justin and I, you know, I feel confident saying we're both Braves fans. So, you know, we, we just wanted to uh, give them a little credit in tonight's episode. Yeah, it'll be nice to see them in here in a couple hours. And hopefully they stay on track and keep to their winning ways. They've had an incredible season. And I agree with you. This team seems to be a little bit different from the team you saw last season, facing some adversity a couple games ago and then bouncing right back for a pretty solid win. And hopefully we'll see more of the same tonight. Hopefully they'll break that what seems to be Georgia curse, too. Uh, so it'll be fun to see them in the World Series. Hopefully we can say that here in the next uh, couple days. Yeah, you're right. Um, we'll uh, segue back into uh, some SEC football news, and we'll talk about the, uh, the news coming out of Baton Rouge, or Baton Rouge, as Justin <laughs> likes to say. Um, Ed O. and LSU have decided to part ways at the end of the season. Um, you know, this goes back to what Justin and I have talked about, you know, a few times, how it seemed like this probably would be the end for him. I know in the very beginning I, I was kind of skeptical if it would happen uh, over the course of a few games. Uh, my tune changed on that, and he is out. Justin, who do you think might be in? Yeah, it's, it's, it's when this thing happens, it's kind of interesting to speculate. It's really hard to predict that, you know, especially before a season's even over. There's a bunch of names being thrown around. You know, you have Mel Tucker over there at Michigan State who's putting together a heck of a season. His name could pop back up in the SEC after already spending time there. You've got uh, Franklin at Penn State. His name has been tossed around as well. You know, it seems to me like he's a good fit for Penn State and not as much pressure as you'd have at the SEC. So I imagine he would stay there, but hey, who knows? Joe Brady's also a guy. He, you know, he's in the NFL now at Carolina, but he was on that national championship winning team at, in 2019 at LSU. So he could be tossed around the rumor mill. Uh, I think he's probably, as Zach told me a little earlier, probably an NFL guy at the end of the day. But who knows, it could be interesting to see him back there. That probably would be a steal for them, if you ask me, uh, to bring him back to LSU. Another thing kind of tossed around, Jimbo Fisher. That one's also kind of a long shot in my mind with the package he's got at A&M. He's building a pretty solid team, you would think. He's got a pretty solid recruiting class. Getting some wins in there. I know they struggle a little bit. They beat Alabama. That's going to be key to having success and sustained success. But uh, his name's been tossed around there. So it's interesting to speculate. Zach, who are some uh, candidates you've got? 
Um, you know, Luke Fickle's another name that gets tossed around. I, I don't think... I mean, this job probably could appeal to Fickle. Um, he's mainly stayed in the Midwest um, as a coach. You know, he, he went to Ohio State, was the interim head coach at Ohio State. Um, he coached defensive line and, maybe, and linebackers mainly primarily there. Um, you know, and now he's at Cincinnati. And with Cincinnati accepting that bid into the Big 12, you know, granted that's, you know, a few years down the line, he, he he has the opportunity to be patient and wait for something he really likes, which which I believe would be a Michigan or, you know, I'd say Ohio State's probably the end goal. Uh, maybe he looks at a Notre Dame. Um, the guy that I really think is the uh, probably the best choice would be Billy Napier, 55 miles down the road in Louisiana Lafayette. He has a you know uh, a rapport with the current Louisiana coaches. Um, you know there's a lot of talent in Louisiana. You got to flip over a lot of rocks to find guys, and Napier's done that by keeping his team pretty competitive. Um, you know since he's been there, um, it just makes a lot of sense for me. Uh, I think I think this is finally the time Billy Napier had, decides to jump to that you know Power Five job. And I think he's going to be a really good guy that LSU should target. And I feel like they should, you know, make him a priority early on because, you know, you've got USC that's already going to be open. Uh, and then there's no telling with the silly season right around the corner who else will uh, will get canned and what other jobs will open. So I feel like LSU probably should make Napier a priority because he's a good up-and-coming, you know, he's on the younger side. Uh, as a coach, um, I, I really think that's that's a good option for them. Yeah, and I think he'll be a great fit if they were able to uh, take him and bring him from. He is already in Louisiana, like uh, Zach said, he already has the tie-ins there, knows the high school coaches, knows uh, the ins and outs of the state of Louisiana. Um, bring him to LSU, give him some success on a, on a higher level playing field, I think if you ask me, obviously of course compared to Louisiana. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's a Saban disciple. He learned from the best there is in the game. So. Also a Dabo Sweeney disciple. There you go. Twofer. He's a, he's a twofer. But, yeah, I think he's an excellent fit for that program. So it'll be interesting to see if they give him the nod. And also, as Zach said, give him the nod early because there will be some competition to get him uh, at the reins of your football program. So uh, moving on. Per usual in our podcast, we'll, uh, we'll take over last week's action, analyze it a little bit. And we might as well keep it on the LSU trend and talk about their game against Florida last week. They won that game 49-42, to so it's kind of interesting that we start off talking about Ed O no longer being there and they win this game, but this was talked about for a couple weeks, right, Zach? It was, um, and, you know, as I think Justin and I both had said last week, we, you know, we figured Florida would win this game, and I think we figured Florida would win it pretty easily. Um, it turns out that was not the case. Uh, you know, uh, there was a part of me that thought that LSU players would fight for Coach O's job security, um, and it seems like this had been in the motion for a little while um, that he would mutually part ways with the Tigers. The LSU defense was uh, appeared to get to Emory Jones early. They put some pressure on him, forced him into some bad decisions, and they ended up taking advantage of it. Um, they, the Gators, that is, decided to switch to Anthony Richardson, and he provided a bit of a spark. You know, they, he matched them tip for tat, LSU, that is, scoring-wise. But 
ultimately the Tigers just had too much of a lead for them to prevail. Yeah, should Anthony Richardson have started that game, they might have ultimately won that game. He did have his fair share of mistakes as well as Emory Jones, but he added the spark, as Zach said, and that kind of put him back in the game because LSU could have uh, it could have gotten out of hand, you know, a little bit more than it did at halftime. But again, putting Anthony Richardson in, Florida was able to recover from that first half and made it a game again. The one thing that Florida could not do, and that's on the defensive side of the ball, is stop Davis Price on the ground. He put up crazy numbers, uh, nearly 300 yards at the end of the day. I think he was just short, I think of about 287, but uh, that was a school record for them. He could not be stopped, and ultimately he's what won that game for them. Yeah, you're right, Justin. Davis Price did end up taking over that game and, you know, showed dominance uh, from what we've been accustomed to seeing of LSU running backs in the past. Uh, another game that kind of surprised us uh, from our picks last week was the Auburn-Arkansas game where, you know, it seemed like Auburn pretty much had control the whole time. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. It was, uh, it was a little more close in the first half, even into the third quarter. But uh, really, overall, it kind of felt like Auburn was able to kind of dominate that game. I do understand there were some questionable calls in that game, um, but there are, you know, you can, you can almost say that about any game. Uh, so... Auburn did really well. Bo Nix did really well in this game. This was probably the most comfortable he looked all season. Usually when he's dropping back and ready to pass the ball, he's uh, a split second and then looking to run the ball. So he actually had his feet more set in this game, and uh, he was much more effective through the air, I think, because of that. So, uh, But whenever the pocket was crashing and he did need to use his legs, he was still able to do that, but he was just a little bit more calm out of the gate. So uh, this one, you know, like Zach said, we both picked Arkansas, I think, to win this game. And they just seemed like they were a little bit more uh, dominated uh, by Auburn and that uh, shade on the score. Yeah, Bo Nix looked like the Bo Nix that I've talked about in the past. Uh, you know, he made the made the plays he needed to, he extended the pocket when he needed to, um, and you know, really just showed off his athleticism in this game. And that's ultimately what helped Auburn win this one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Auburn moves forward uh, with Bo Nix doing well, like we just said. Uh, they're out. They're coming into a bye week here, and then they'll come out of that bye week with still a pretty tough schedule ahead in Ole Miss, Texas A&M to follow that, uh, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and then of course finishing off with Bama. So they're still gonna have a pretty tough slate ahead of them, but they're looking pretty good. So we'll see how that continues to unfold. Keeping it in the SEC West with a uh, team that won A&M facing Missouri from the East, but A&M comes up out on top. They pretty much dominated that game. From the start, jumped on them with 21 unanswered points in that first quarter. Missouri was able to score a couple points, uh, not a couple points, a couple touchdowns, that is, throughout the game. But ultimately, 35-14, Aggies on top. What are your similar takeaways there, Zach? Yeah, um, more of the same from Missouri. I mean, Texas A&M has a stable of running backs, and Missouri's defense hasn't gotten any better from the start of the season. Uh, their run defense, that is. And, you know, Texas A&M just ran away with it. And by the time Missouri was able to score, it was pretty much too little too late. And speaking of teams that ran away with uh, the game, what about that Georgia-Kentucky game, Justin? Yeah, this was a fun game to watch and probably the most anticipated game of the week as you had the number 11 Wildcats going into Athens to face the number one ranked Bulldogs. This was a game in the first quarter that neither team really seemed to have an edge because it was scoreless. If you go back and look at that box score, then heading into the second quarter, almost immediately Georgia did, as you said, Zach, kind of run away with it at that point. 
it seemed like, and then Kentucky was able to score a late touchdown to get 14 to seven at half. But it still felt like Georgia was dominating that game up to that point, and then in the second half they did much of the same and put another 16 points on it to make it a 30 to 13 score. Again, Kentucky scored again late on the last drive, a very long drive that is. But gotta cover that point spread. Yeah, you gotta cover that point spread. Um, some people in Vegas might not have been happy there. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, again, it felt like Georgia dominated this game, especially on defense. We've done that all year. We, we say it just about every week. But one thing I'm really excited to see yet again, Bennett being my riser from last week, he had another heck of a game. He's got some freshman talent in Ladd McConkie and Brock Bowers. I think I alluded to them last week as well. But they're able to just get open and make plays. And they're not doing stuff necessarily that's super flashy on offense. You know, they're not putting up a crazy amount of points, a crazy amount of offense, but they know where to hit you, and that's probably just dangerous enough. And uh, they're looking really good while doing it. Yeah, especially early on, it looked like Kentucky was finally going to be able to to break through that Georgia defense and, and score some points. Uh, but, you know, as Justin said, and as we've said time and time again, that Georgia defense is tough to score on. Uh, and they show more of the same uh, and with holding Kentucky scoreless pretty much until the end of the second quarter. Yeah, as we've been saying, Georgia defense is pretty nasty. Uh, Jordan Davis for Heisman, if you ask me, right, Zach? I mean, you know, he's he's probably the most dominant defensive player since Chase Young, and, and were it not for a bogus um, impermissible benefits uh, allegation against Young, you know, we could be having a very different conversation about him. But... Yes, as you say, Jordan Davis has been pretty dominant. You know, he's he's pretty much like a freak at the, at the nose tackle position, being able to run as well as he does for his size. Yeah, and that and that is the talk of the town is to put him on those uh, Heisman ballots. And, and like you said, I wouldn't be opposed to that. He is a dominant force on the field. One thing they have going for him, though, is that it's not really a one-face kind of defense. I mean, you have Jordan Davis, but you have Nicobe Dean. You have other linebackers. You have other linemen. Are you going to stop me, Zach? No, I was, no I'm not going to stop you. I just, I just want to add in that, you know, Davis does have a, you know, probably a decent chance because nobody else in the Heisman race currently has done enough to uh, impress the Heisman, the potential Heisman voters, in my opinion. So Davis could get a shot with the odds makers here in the future. Yeah, and I think the thing is, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but the Heisman Award, we need, again, in my opinion, we need to get a little bit away from these statistics that are thrown up and the flash of the player in that aspect because uh, for this reason, a player like Jordan Davis isn't going to get as much love because his effect on the field isn't necessarily shown through all stats. It's it's shown by how teams have to game plan away from him and not to you know get in his presence to where he's going to make a play. So doing that is going to give other players on his team you know more stats than what he has. So his force on the field isn't shown by those stats, but I do definitely think that he should be in the Heisman conversation. So we'll see how uh, how that stacks up. Again, though, uh, Georgia's defense doesn't have one single name necessarily on defense. They've got a collective group of guys, you know, Trayvon Walker, Jalen Carter, a group of linebackers to go with that, and Adam Anderson, Kobe Dean, and more than that. So uh, that's what they've also got going for them this season. But uh, moving on, let's get through the rest of these uh, scores from last week. We've got a few more games to go here, Zach. We've got Vanderbilt and South Carolina. 
Vanderbilt was looking like they were going to come away with their first SEC win. Didn't end up that way, though. Yeah, and I want to uh, apologize to any of the Vanderbilt fans out there. Uh, when I said winless Vanderbilt last week, what I meant was winless in the uh, in conference play. So please, people in Nashville, don't be in the DMs uh, too hard on me. Or if remember, you are, just at Zach specifically. Uh, yeah, We're okay you know, with that. Remember, the, uh, the handle is at Appalachian Rush. Uh, but do not come at me for that. Uh, you know, I just I just want to reiterate, winless in the SEC. Yeah, it looked like Vandy was going to get that win. Uh, they tried their darndest too, but South Carolina just had too much with uh, Zeb Nolan coming back in, taking over. Um, it does look like Luke Doty is done for the season, so we'll see how that has a, an impact on that South Carolina team going forward. Uh, but good win for South Carolina. Almost a good win for Vanderbilt. Sorry, you're going to have to try again next week. <laughs> they are going to have to try again next week. Um, and they're going to be playing Mississippi State for that one. So I mean, there's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, they got to show some defense, though. And uh, I don't know how they will do because they faced some high-powered offenses already. It didn't turn out so good. But, hey, there is a chance. That's why you play the game. So, uh, moving on real quick from that one, uh, Alabama-Mississippi State was next. This one was what we both expected it to be, the first one that we got right uh, for what we expected, I think, probably. Yep. Um, Alabama comes away 49-9, to didn't show any struggles at all in that one. Yeah, uh, as we said last week, you know, uh, Mississippi State was the beneficiary of that Alabama ash chewing that Nick Saban gave the team, um, and they showed up and showed out like we expected them to do uh, Alabama you know dominated the game all three phases offense defense and special teams and there's not a whole lot you can say other than Alabama came out showed who they were and Mississippi State was the recipient of that and just so you guys know Zach has been dying to say ass all night during this broadcast so. I, I've just been trying to find out a, a decent place to put expletives in this <laughs> podcast and we finally got the place for him right there it is uh, but he's exactly right Alabama did come out strong like we expected they would after Nick Saban got on them for how they performed against Texas A&M they came out rock and rolled left it all out on the field and um, that's the story she wrote in that game speaking of leaving stuff out on the field we're riding into our last game to cover, uh, Ole Miss and Tennessee. Hey guys, we're mostly off the cuff tonight. We're having fun with it, if you can't tell. So, yeah, um, as Justin said, leaving it out all out on the field. Um, you know that Tennessee Ole Miss game was a very interesting game, uh, especially for 20 minutes there in the fourth quarter. <laughs> um, but uh, um, you know, throughout the whole game, you know Tennessee kind of shot themselves in the foot a few times but for whatever reason they were able to stay in it i mean Ole miss led 24 to 9 at one point in time um and tennessee was was still in it through the 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 thick of it and uh you know due to some due to some bad calls uh the tennessee fans just had enough i mean i understand kind of where they're coming from i don't really like the fact that you show the emotion in that way there's really no reason to you know put other people in harm's way by you know throwing debris out onto the field um but you know still through all of that they had a chance a shot at the very end of the game to win it um they just came up short 
Yeah, that's the biggest thing for me, you know, when you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier last week, it's like, yeah, your fans are upset. Yeah, this might have yeah. been brewing. Excuse my phone, guys. Sorry about that. That should be on vibrate. This might have been brewing for, you know, several years dating back to, I mean, more than several, back to when Lane Kiffin was there. There's some animosity there, that sort of thing. Him coming back to Nealon as a head coach. Um, but to react like that over in that particular situation, what was, I think, the right call, even after you review it, and throw stuff on the field, delay the game for 20 or 30 minutes or whatever it was, when you still have a chance to come out there and win that game because it's one possession, that doesn't sit right with me. Not something that we should entertain in the sport. I will say, though, there was a call earlier in the first half that also added to this energy and passion from the fans, and that was the Matt Corral when he you know, got a snap and dropped back and held the ball and it wasn't ever blown dead, and essentially it looked like it was a fumble. Even the referee ran down there to alert that he had scored, and then it ends up being a dead play. So that was kind of confusing. Not sure that was the right call there. And there's other things you can mention in that game, too, with possibly faking injuries, whatever you want to name it. Um, but how this ended in that fourth quarter with fans littering the field like that, yeah, there's no place for that. Yeah, regardless of whether we agree or disagree with the passion of the fans, we want it to be known that there is absolutely zero call and zero tolerance um, for for people to to behave that way um, in a in a setting uh, such as a college football game. There's just there's no call for it, and and it should never happen. With that being said, I do want to uh, go back to what Justin said just a minute ago um, in that strip sack uh, fumble return for a touchdown call. Is it, it doesn't really make sense to me how you can you know let the let it play out even have your your head official running with the defensive player down to the end zone yet there's no whistle called and yet they were able to look back at the replay and determine that forward progress was stopped which therefore is not a reviewable play unless they're determining if a whistle was blown and to my knowledge there wasn't one blown. Yeah and you can go right back to that where the referee was running back there to see if he crossed the pile or you know crossed the goal line and actually signaled for it to be a touchdown so if there was a whistle blown one would think that they wouldn't have done that and run to the goal line right so everything about that play kind of seemed botched if you ask me um you know and if it's you know if you look back at it and it's and it's going to end up being a sack like most of us think that it is um and then a fumble proceeding from that in a normal play where there's a sack they don't stop progress on a sack 99 percent of the time you know unless he's getting held up and then trying to fight you know most sacks don't go that way though so they get you know they get hit go to the ground they lose the ball something like that so i don't really understand the stop of progress uh on that call but it is what it is now, I guess. Moving into the next segment of the podcast, it is our Rush Risers and Rush Fallers. Justin, who was your riser of the week? Yeah, for me this week, it's going to be uh, Texas A&M. Um, and part of that is because I didn't want to pick Georgia again uh, for the second week in a row. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, really, you know, you could pick Georgia. Oh, uh, Roman week. Harper. <laughs> yeah, week, uh, you could pick Georgia week in and week out. But uh, we've talked about them extensively. And I do want to give Texas A&M some credit here. Um, they, of course, beat Alabama a couple weeks ago after having to that point what was pretty sketchy season. They followed it up with a nice win uh, this week as well against Missouri. 
the uh, quarterback play looks a lot better, defense looks a lot better, and uh, they didn't have that hangover after that big win against Alabama. So I think Jimbo Fisher is doing a great job getting them back on track. Uh, their recruiting rankings, they're looking good there too. So uh, they're looking more like what you thought they would have looked like at the beginning of the season, uh, hence also their top 10 ranking there. And you might not necessarily be able to count them out of that first place in the in the West Division having won against Alabama head-to-head. -head. Now, there's still several things that has to happen from here on forward, but, hey, you can't count them out just yet. So, for this week, A&M will be my riser. I like the pick. Um, I am going with the Alabama defense as my riser this week after putting them on blast last week. <laughs> uh, as I talked about that Alabama ass-chewing, uh, who do you think got most of the brunt of that? Uh, that would be Pete Golding's defensive unit. Um, so that's why they're my risers this week. They came out against Mississippi State, did pretty much what we thought they would do. They dominated. They didn't you know, give up a whole lot of points, only surrendering nine to that Mississippi State team. I think that they're going to do much of the same once they uh, hit the third Saturday in October against Tennessee. Uh, I do think Tennessee may score a little bit uh, more points-wise, uh, but I still think Bama's going to be pretty dominant. Next, I will move into my rush faller for the week, and I have chosen Emory Jones. Yeah, after the Tennessee game, I, you know, I gave Jones some credit, uh, but during this LSU game, I saw pretty much what I thought I would see in the beginning of the season, where once he gets rushed a little bit, doesn't have a clear lane to throw or a clear lane to run he kind of reverts back to old habits you know doesn't make the best decisions and and ultimately you know pretty much cost his team the game uh, so for that fact i have to have him as my follower of the week i am right there with you uh my follower for the week is actually going to be the Florida team as collective, uh, so Emory Jones, Dan Mullen, Florida defense, whatever you got for me, that's kind of the overall follow for me this week. You know, they are not looking good. It's kind of how their season ended last year where they dropped a couple of games, the LSU game, that bowl game. Much of the same this year from Dan Mullen. And you uh, call it a hot take. We kind of put pulled a hot take earlier this year with the Ed O stories and what we thought was was coming. I don't think Dan Mullen necessarily gets fired this year, but uh, you look at it next year. I think he's his seat is definitely heating up. So uh, yeah, much for what you said, Zach. This week I'm with you. Florida is my father. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an interesting take there. And you look if they come out and they you know get destroyed by Georgia where they don't put up a whole bunch of you know a, a whole lot of a fight then you could be right I mean you go you know you lose to Kentucky you lose to LSU and then you get blown you potentially get blown out by Georgia that's not what they like to see in Gainesville at all so we could see a uh, riser in a different sense of the word like much like you used last week <laughs> and be in his seat we, we very could very well could uh, what we'll do now is move on to the third segment of the podcast in our Rush Power Rankings. Justin, you want to start us off? I'm sure we both have Alabama back in the top spot, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we uh, actually can agree that they're not in the top spot. However, they're not far from it. But as for that top spot for me, it, does, it remains unchanged. It is going to be Georgia for me. 
they look like the most complete team this year, offensively and defensively, and for me, there's no reason to take them out of that house spot. Undefeated, the only one left in the SEC, and they're going to remain at that number one. I was sure after that, uh, that game against Mississippi State, you'd put Georgia, or Alabama back in that top <laughs> spot. Um, unfortunately, I didn't take this advice either. Uh, I kept Georgia in that top spot as well. I still haven't seen anybody consistently score on this Georgia defense, and until somebody does that, you know, they they will remain the best team in the league and possibly the nation. And as I've kind of already alluded to, for number two uh, in the SEC, I'm going to hold Alabama at that spot, not change from last week. They do have the stumble to Texas A&M. We all know about that by now, but I think overall they still look like the second best team in the conference. They haven't done anything else to disprove that. And uh, overall, I think if you put them matched up against A&M right now, I think it would be a different ball game, even though A&M's looking pretty good. But, you know, it, it, there's teams here and there that catch Saban off guard every once in a while, and uh, we know how it ultimately ends. I've said that before also. But anyway, nonetheless, number two for me is still Alabama. Yep, I agree with that as well. Alabama, you know, stays at number two. They haven't done anything other than that lost to A&M and then the close game against Florida but that was early in the season they haven't done anything to uh, to drop them any farther than to the potential matchup at the end of the season uh, of Georgia and Alabama and Atlanta is a very intriguing one and hopefully we get to see it end up that way next up in that number three spot I have the Kentucky Wildcats Uh, yes they lost to Georgia uh, but you know they, you know they, their defense stayed pretty true. Uh, they were a pretty good all-around team. You know the the final score doesn't really show it, but I think for the most part they actually gave Georgia the toughest battle of the season. Justin, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. You know it's hard to say that we're three rankings in and we're all you know we're congruent on all of those. That doesn't happen too often here. So, but yeah, Kentucky's number three for me. Also, I do agree that they gave Georgia the best matchup so far this season. You know, again, the score doesn't really reflect that. Georgia still pretty much did dominate that game, but as far as consistently moving the ball, at least on a couple of those drives to get those two scores for Kentucky, uh, they've done that most effectively compared to any other team that played Georgia. So, yeah, and they're they're a one-loss team now. So, yeah, they still stay at number three for me. Next in that number four spot in the rankings, I have Ole Miss. You know, they played Tennessee tight, but they they really showed that they had a, a – I don't want to say stronghold again because I just said that for Georgia, uh, but they they so had a, stronghold. <laughs> they, they had a grip on that game. That's the same thing as a stronghold. <laughs> so just say stronghold. They, Go ahead. They, they had a stronghold and continue. They owned that game from start to finish. Really, uh, yeah. Tennessee made it close and had the potential to win, but they came out. With the W and, you know, for Matt Corral and those Rebels, that's all you can ask for. Breaking news on the Rush Review. We have one through four rankings lined it exactly right, and I don't think that's happened just yet. So, yeah, Ole Miss is number four for me, and uh, they had a close game, as Zach alluded to, with Tennessee. They had a stronghold. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that was a good game. Ole Miss did seem to kind of control it for the most part, and... Control, that's a word I could have used. <laughs> Control it for the most part. And 
you know, some of these games, they're, they're going to be like that, and you have to figure out a way to win them. Much like what Kentucky has done most of the season outside of that Georgia game, is find a way to win, and that's still what Ole Miss did. They have a great offense. Defense looks loads better from what it did last year, and uh, I think they're worthy of the number four spot, even in a close win. Uh, up at number five, I have the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, Texas A&M, you know, they, they beat Mizzou pretty handily. They've they've come a long way since that Colorado game when Zach Calzada had to take over for the injured Haynes King, and they are finally starting to look like that preseason top ten team that they were ranked. Yeah, and uh, we're keeping our streak alive here. A&M is at five for me as well, and much to what you already said, their quarterback situation is looking a lot better. They're able to manage games a lot better. Defense looks a lot better. Um, what else can I say other than a lot better for the fourth time? So, uh, yeah, A&M's at number five for me, just above Mississippi State. They actually flip-flop for me. And the reason for that, I mean, Mississippi State at number six could be kind of an interesting take there, but... As I've told you all year, head-to-heads mean a lot for me, and they did beat A&M head-to-head. Now, Mississippi State may keep sliding a little bit. They might pummel them, but we'll see how they respond to that. And also, at the same time, Auburn could be creeping up from there, too. But for right now, I'm going to keep them at six, just behind A&M, who they beat head-to-head a few weeks ago. Uh, it's funny that you mention Auburn creeping up, because Auburn is my number six pick. You know, they beat a good team in Arkansas. You know, Bo Nix is, as I said earlier, he's starting to come in back, come back into his own, and uh, you know he's he may eventually get this Auburn team looking dangerous for the future. So that's why I've got him six at number seven. I have Arkansas. Um, you know, they just got beat by Auburn. Like I said, Arkansas is a really good team. Uh, you know, I like this Arkansas team. I'm excited for the future of the Hogs and to see what they do down the road. So uh, that's why they're at seven this week. So that was our first uh, segue in our rankings. But uh, as you already figured out, if you're keeping track, Auburn was going to be my number seven. Is going to be my number seven rather. And uh, it's much for one the reasons that Zach already talked about. Bo Nix is on track. He's looking like the Bo Nix of old. And uh, they're looking pretty collective in their win uh, this past weekend. So Auburn's at number seven for me. Um, I'm actually going to have LSU at number eight. And that is riding off of their pretty solid win over Florida. Um, They looked pretty good in that game. Kind of dominated Florida from the get-go. Florida was able to come back in that second half with doing a change of quarterback, doing some different stuff on offense. But again, LSU kind of dominated that game. So that's going to push them up a little bit in my rankings to number eight. Well, here's where we get back on track. I also have LSU at number eight. You know, the score was the the score was tight in that Florida game, but really they looked good from start to finish. Um, you know, Max Johnson looked really good at quarterback. As we um, said earlier, Tyrion Davis Price was a was a beast at running back. And if they can really get this offense to jail moving forward, you know, they could make some noise in what seemed to be a uh, a year that, you know, was going to result in turmoil. Well, it is resulting in turmoil a little bit, but I, I can follow what you're saying. More more turmoil, you know, if they uh, performed uh, less or on the field than what they have. So they're looking, they're looking pretty decent, all things said, with the coaching situation and whatnot. I know we're going to differ here because you had Arkansas in that seven spot. Arkansas actually falls for me to number nine. 
I agree with you. I still love what the Hogs are doing. I love what Sam Pittman's doing. I love them enough to have them at number two in the West, and that's obviously changed a little bit. That does not take away from what they're doing. I think they're doing great things, and this is just a year two for the Hogs and Pittman um, and their marriage. But with how they performed in the past couple of weeks, they are going to fall to number nine in my rankings. At nine, I've actually got Florida. Um, you know, as I stated earlier, the the loss to LSU was a pretty bad one for me. Um, personally, I think, you know, maybe it's time to, with the bye week coming up for Florida, maybe it's time you get Anthony Richardson some first-team reps and see how he performs and, you know, see what he can do, uh, you know, against that Georgia defense coming up in, in two weeks. Um, but that's why Florida's at number nine. Um, you know, I haven't seen enough from them. Uh, I feel like the LSU loss was pretty bad, um, so that's why they're at nine. I agree with you. Uh, Florida actually comes up at number 10 for me, but obviously in both of our rankings they're falling a bit. And I agree with you on the loss front as well. That loss to LSU was pretty abysmal. They did the same thing last year to a much similar team that was off the tracks a little bit in LSU. So Florida's just not looking hot right now, and obviously they were our rush fallers for a reason uh, in the combination of Zach's, Emory Jones, and my Florida all together. So, yeah, number 10 this week. They're going to have to take this bye week, as you said, to get back on track a little bit. I would also vote for them to start Anthony Richardson. He's what gave them a spark in the LSU game to give them a chance to win it. Uh, it didn't turn out that way, but he definitely gave them a chance too. So they're going to figure some things out, and maybe it starts with him. But number 10 for me. At number 10, I actually have the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, you know, they, they actually fall a bit from last week uh, where I had them ranked at number eight. So they, yeah, <laughs> just, just, just a quick check there. So they fall two spots for me. Um, you know, it's a little bit of the combination of the, the Ole Miss game, you know, losing composure there for a little bit. Um, but they were able to make it a game. Um, you know, how they deal with the quarterback situation going forward. Hendon Hooker got a banged up at the end of the game. Uh, we'll see who starts at quarterback against Alabama uh, this week. Um, so, you know, for those reasons, they're at number 10 for me. At 11, who you got, Justin? Well, 11, I'm keeping it on the Tennessee front. Tennessee is my 11. They are unchanged from last week and I think, you know, from the beginning for me. Um, I do like what Tennessee's doing with Heupel and what the offense is doing. They've actually impressed me this year. I can admit that um, because it's a first-year program, first-year offense. You're installing a lot of new pieces. But uh, they're going to remain at number 11 for me after that close loss. Mississippi State comes in at number 11 for me. I actually have them falling down one spot from last week at number 10. You know, I just haven't seen enough from this Mississippi State team to rank them as highly as Justin does. Yeah, they've got quality wins over Texas A&M and uh, NC State. But still, you know, there just hasn't been enough. I mean, they lost to LSU, which we've talked about LSU being, you know, this kind of downtrodden team. Uh, so, you know, for those reasons, they're at number 11 for me. Uh, coming in at number 12, I have South Carolina. Uh, they make a little bit of a jump from my rankings last week where I had them at 13. Um I have them at 12 from, uh, you know, beating, you know, purely from beating Vanderbilt um, and then uh, Mizzou losing to Texas A&M. So that was enough for me to jump South Carolina up one spot. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you here and put South Carolina at the number 12 spot. 
uh, again because they did end up getting a conference win, their first conference win of the season against. It was against Vanderbilt, who is one that's in the conference. But hey, again, head to head, they beat them, so they're going to rank higher than them. And uh, Shane Beamer's hopefully going to be able to put something together there. First year also uh, coach in the SEC, but number twelve for me, right there with you, Zach. Uh, obviously, slotting in at 13 is Missouri, uh, yet again for the simple fact of the loss against Texas A&M. So that was enough to drop them below South Carolina. And coming in at 14, I have Vanderbilt, uh, who is still winless in the SEC. You know, you know, I'm rooting for you, Vandy, even though I talk shit about you on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but I'm rooting for you to get that first SEC win. Our rankings align there uh, again. Twelve, excuse me, thirteen and fourteen is going to be Missouri and Vandy, both winless in the SEC. Like you said, who's going to get that first one? <laughs> We're definitely going to find that out. Uh, one of them has to at least win against each other. But uh, yeah, they're both at the bottom for much similar reasons. They can't get a complete game put together in the SEC. Uh, Missouri's lack of defense, Vandy's lack of defense, really, for that matter. Although they did seem to have some against South Carolina. But nonetheless, both winless, both at the bottom, 13-14. Uh, hey, I'm going to call it right now. When they actually face off, I'm going to pick you, Vanderbilt. And if I don't, feel free to jump in my DMs, Vandy fans, at Appalachian Rush. And be sure you specifically say Zach in those DMs because I love seeing him get called out. Much like I see, uh, much like I enjoy seeing him wrong in some picks which is going to lead us to our next segment week eight is upon us and we've got we got several teams with a bye week this week five teams i think if we are counting those up but uh, anyway let's start off with arkansas pine bluff at arkansas what are you looking for in that game um i'm looking for arkansas to absolutely dominate uh, i think they will I'm, I'm pretty sure arkansas pine bluffs one and five on the year um but i mean they're they're going to be no match for the Razorbacks. I'm looking for Arkansas to get back on track, and I've got them winning this matchup 42 to nothing. 42 to nothing, a shutout. I like it. This defense is definitely capable of that. They've played much better competition, much stiffer. Um, you know, they haven't recorded a shutout just yet, but against this opponent, they very well might. I agree with you. They're going to get back on track. They've dropped two games in a row here. Uh, very, very hard games to lose when you're trying to keep momentum like Arkansas is. But uh, they do get back on track here. I do think that they allow a couple scores, but ultimately 56 to 10 Arkansas is what I have. Uh, moving down the line here, LSU at Ole Miss. This one could be a good one. It may be good in the first half or the first quarter, um, but I see Ole Miss ultimately running away with this. There is a chance Matt Corral might not play. That could just be posturing from Lane Kiffin. Um, but I, I think, you know, he... he he did get injured in that Tennessee game. To what extent, I don't really know. Um, but I see Ole Miss pretty much running away with this. I've got them winning 35-10. to 10. Um, I'm pretty much right there with you. I think that there's potential for it to be that good game because LSU's coming off of a pretty solid win to Florida. Uh, against Florida, I guess I should say. But ultimately, I think Ole Miss does have the firepower with or without Corral to put them away. I do have the gap being somewhat large in this one, too. 41 to 21, Old Miss taking that one. Uh, next up, we've got Mississippi State and Vandy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Vandy, we're talking about when they're going to get that first win. It's going to be Missouri. Mark it <laughs> down. Receipts here. Receipts here. I, well, I can, I can tell you this. I don't think it's going to come here in this game for sure. So I have Mississippi State winning this one quite large. The firepower that uh, what is 
behind that air raid offense that Mike Leach has. Ultimately, you know, they've not done great throughout the season, but I think that they do in this game. Vandy's defense has looked pretty bad all throughout the season. 56-17, um, State. Well, uh, we do match up on Vanderbilt's score in this one. I also have them scoring 17 points. I have it a little bit closer. I do agree with you. I think Mississippi State's going to put this one away pretty easily. I do think Vandy's defense does stand up a little bit on this one. So I've got the final score at 38-17. to 17. Fair enough. I like it. And when you're defending an air raid, you kind of just have to defend the pass. So Vandy gets helped out by being one-dimensional there. Um, we've got the third week in October matchup next. Uh, give me your initial thoughts on this one. Um, you know, I, I don't see Tennessee coming out with a win. I do see them kind of keeping it close. Um, you know, Bama's just, you know, they're too deep. They're too good. You know, they're, they're still going to be pissed off about that Texas A&M game. Go uh, ahead and say ass is that. So, so, so they're going to want to, they're going to want to show that they are who we thought they were. Um, but I've got Alabama winning this 42 to 28. We are very close on that score. I'm uh, going to go ahead and tell you 42 to 24 for me, and I have Tennessee not winning that game. I just wanted to throw you there. Um, yeah, Alabama's still going to be pissed off. They are going to come out, and uh, I would say, you know, for lack of a better term, use the word dominate. I think they're very much going to dominate this game. Tennessee is clicking on offense, uh, so I think they will score some points, um, but I don't think they have a chance against Alabama. 42 to 24. And the final game of the night, Texas A&M against South Carolina. Well, South Carolina, you're getting ready to hit a buzzsaw because Texas A&M is mad and they are wanting to show that they belong and they're going to do it in this matchup. They're going to, you know, they've been firing on, on all cylinders since that Bama game and they're going to continue to do much of the same. I've got them winning 42-10. to 10. I agree with you. We're almost on the nose on that one by uh, by the way of score. I have 49 to 10 in that one, but I agree with you. Texas A&M is out to prove something because of how their season has ultimately went so far. They um, they have an outside shot to really get back into SEC championship contention. Now they're going to have to have Alabama help them out and probably lose somewhere else along the way. I'll be honest, I don't necessarily see that happening, but I didn't see Texas A&M beating them in the first place either. So they still got something to play for is what I'm trying to get at. I do think that they handle South Carolina pretty well. Uh, again, 49-10 to 10 A&M. All right. I believe that's going to wrap up another edition of the Rush Review Podcast. As always, uh, we thank you for listening to us. Um, if you'll, you know, we're on Spotify, so if you'll go find Appalachian Rush um, or the Rush Review, um, give us a follow, you know, take a listen um you know find us on twitter at appalachian rush um you know give us a retweet you know shout us out get your asses over there (laughs) yeah shout us out get in the dms if you want to um and uh we'll see you next time